welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. My name is Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Evan Goldstein, who is the founder and CEO of Bespoke Surgical, a leading private practice specializing in an elite standard of sexual health and wellness care for the modern gay man. Dr. Goldstein is committed to sexuality education and awareness, not only bringing the important issues surrounding gay sexual health to the forefront, but also eliminating the stigmas attached to it. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that has long been considered taboo and that isn't covered at all in many people's formal sex education, which is anal sex. This is a very common sexual activity across persons of different genders and sexualities. So the overall theme of this episode is really going to be the guide to anal sex. We're going to be discussing what people tend to get wrong about it and what you need to know when it comes to having safer and more pleasurable encounters. And the information we're going to be sharing isn't just limited to gay men or men who have sex with men. There's something in this episode for anyone who's having anal sex or is simply curious about exploring it or learning more about it. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, so let's get to it. Hi, Evan, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Hope you're well. Happy New Year. Thanks. Same to you. And I know it's been a while since we last chatted, but it's great to have you here to talk about butt stuff because I know that's your bread and butter. So (laughs) to get started, let me ask you to tell my listeners a little bit about your professional journey. You're a physician who specializes in anal healthcare, which includes performing surgeries for both functional and cosmetic purposes. But another big part of what you do is education and awareness surrounding anal sex. So how did this come to be the focus of your career? Yeah, you know, I was doing heart surgery years ago, and I was miserable. I just came out at that time. I was late coming out. You know, not a lot of surgeons came out and or kind of embraced their sexuality And after I finally worked on my own self, I realized that there was a huge need in the community to really start forming the appropriate education as it relates to gay sex. You start to see people where they're getting all their information from porn or from YouTube stars that have no understanding of sexual anatomy, sexual function. And I started to kind of question, I was like, well, where are people going if they do have an issue with their ass? Let's say they're having sex and they're bleeding. Where are they going and are they receiving the care that we would all hope that they should? And the answer was that they weren't going to the right places and or the places that really worked on destigmatizing the issue. And I realized that there's a huge need for this. And so I said, you know what? And I remember talking to my partner, Andy, and I was like, you know, I really want to do this. And his response was, well, I don't know. Do people care if you're gay or not when they're going to their physician? Do they just want someone that can take care of the problem? And I said, it's interesting. You had two issues that would be taken care of by my practice. One, actually hitting the issue of the problem. And then two, being gay and loving ass and being able to talk about anal in a way that actually destigmatizes and gets rid of the taboo associated with it. And that was what really spearheaded me 
into creating the practice Bespoke Surgical. And it's been a labor of love. It's very, obviously, it's, it's labor intensive, not only on the surgical side, but also the educational side, breaking down these stigmas, especially in the popular press. And you and I both know now anal is very vogue, right? People are, are finally starting to talk about it. And I think it's because of people like you and me that are constantly pushing the narrative that this is so important for people's lives. And how do we now provide a safe haven of a place where people can go to really, really analyze their sexual practices, figuring out how to correct that in a way that makes it better for them moving forward. And then knowing that if they run into an injury and or have issues, that there's a place that specifically specializes in this type of medicine. And it's so important and relates to this article I was reading earlier today about how LGBTQ people just don't have healthcare resources that they can turn to who are trained and equipped to meet their needs. And so it leads a lot of them to avoid care entirely or to put it off or delay it. Or when they do go get care, they don't feel comfortable asking questions to their physicians about sexuality-related issues. Sometimes their physicians make assumptions about them. And so their sexual health needs often end up getting neglected. So we're thankful that people like you are around to help kind of fill in those gaps in the healthcare system. And I think part of what needs to happen and change going forward is that we simply need more comprehensive sex education for our physicians and healthcare providers. You know, I read a study a couple of years ago that said that the average amount of sex ed that doctors get in their four years of medical school is about 10 hours across that entire four-year span. And for them to have everything they need to know about sexual orientation and diverse sexual practices covered, just, you know, it doesn't happen in such a limited period of time. So we definitely need more of this sort of training for our physicians. And I guess since I brought that up, I'll just ask, is this something where you kind of had to go out and educate yourself a lot about it? Or did you get much of this kind of training when you were in medical school? Yeah, actually, you get no training one bit, nor would you get any training on a surgical perspective. I mean, I started to kind of, I don't know, first of all, I love ass. So, you know, (laughs) when when you, and I always tell people, you know, if you're a top and you want to know how to bottom, you should take it up the ass, right? Uh, And learn how it feels. I think that me now taking a step back and looking at my training, I was osteopathic trained from a medical school perspective and then allopathic MD from a surgical perspective. And through all of those, you start to really look at a holistic perspective of, okay, what is the form? What's the function? What's the aesthetics? And I started to kind of break things down, looking at sexual practices. And, you know, if you're seeing 25, 30 patients a day, day in and day out, you start to see repeat issues. Um, And you start to see these issues where you start to say, oh, oh, this is interesting. Well, if we would have done this before, you know, from a better educational perspective, maybe this would have been prevented. Or, oh, these people are coming to see me over and over for anal fissures, which is a tear. And you start to analyze their sexual practices and realize that there's something that is obviously incorrect with how they're engaging and or 
the function anally and there's certain things that we can do. I kind of bridge the gap between proctology, which is obviously the formal kind of, I, I put in quotes, straight heterosexual mentality, which is how do you shit the right way, right? And that is people's perspective and their when they look at their success of a procedure, their success is defined on defecation. That's not my success. Yes, it's all well and good that you can go to the bathroom, and I love that, but where do you want to be sexually, and how do we get you there? And with that being said, that was where I had to start to be innovative with the different procedures, knowing, well, if it heals this way, how do I get it so that now with sex, there's obviously a lot of trauma associated with it. There's a lot of pressures how do we make sure that it's now going to heal the right way so that people can engage the way they want? And then obviously the aesthetic component of all of this, which is where I was bridging the really looking not only at proctology, but at plastic surgery. When you think of the proctologist, he doesn't give a shit how it looks, literally. And when you think of the plastic surgeon, the plastic surgeon doesn't want to take care of the ass. All he wants to take care of is the face and the boobs and, and go that route. So I said, oh, well, how do we bridge those two? Because we know that we want it to be functional, but we also, especially in our community, want it to aesthetically be appealing sexually on your own self, your own mental esteem, and then obviously any of the partners that you're engaging with. Right. So anal sex, as we've mentioned and covered, isn't something that a lot of people learn much about and that includes doctors and, and physicians and you know just for the average person who might be engaging in it they probably didn't learn anything about this in their own formal sex education and if they did they probably only learned the same thing i did which is just that it's a very high risk behavior that's kind of like all that is ever said about it that there's this big risk for hiv acquisition so i think it's important for us to give people the education they never really got on this subject but yeah. before we kind of get into that let's just step back for a second and talk about Who's doing it? So how common is anal play? Who's practicing it? What are the different forms that it can take? So what can you tell us about that? Sure. I think, like we said before, from a, a, a being in vogue, it seems like everybody's having anal these days, all over from the gay LGBT community to the straight world, both guys and girls. So I think that because of the work that everybody's doing and destigmatizing and getting rid of the taboo, finally people are seeing that clearly there's a reason why people want to engage anally. And there are a significant amount of pleasures, whether it's female or male. With that being said, when you think of anal sex in and of itself, clearly the gay community is the higher engagement community. And when you think of other holes, obviously on a heterosexual female, the go-to for most is, is still the vaginal orifice. With that being said, we've learned so much from the gay space of what to do and what not to do. And I think that first thing I tell people in an educational perspective is really to understand anatomy. And the ass is not very complicated. It's three things. It's skin, it's muscle and it's blood vessels. That's it. That's all that it is. And so when you start to understand and you break down the skin component, 
the muscles. There's three sets of muscles that are there. Two of them that you and I can actually squeeze. And if you squeeze your asshole right now, you're squeezing two out of the three muscles. That third muscle that's there, that one is involuntary. That's the one where sometimes when you're trying to have anal sex and you're trying to relax and you say, I am trying to relax. And there's a third muscle that's not really listening to you. That's the one that sometimes people have that is restricting people. Um, and, and when you think of sex, sex is specifically anal is, is traumatic, right? You're, you're, you're taking something and whether it's toys, whether it's penis, whether it's fists, wherever you're going with it, you're physically traumatically entering into the anal space. And so when you think of, well, how do I do it in the right way? It's making sure that you not only understand the anatomy, but that you're making sure that the skin and the muscle relaxes to the capacity of which you're engaging. And I always tell people, you know, you can't just go from nothing to something big. It doesn't work like that. When you think about the anatomical approach, it's how do I gradually start to dilate and stretch the skin and the muscle in concert so that they're both relaxing and strengthening those tissues. It's the fast in and out motion. It's the bigger toys or the bigger cocks or whatnot when you're not really ready to receive it that causes significance amounts of trauma in the area. So I think it's understanding skin, it's understanding muscle, it's understanding that it takes time to actually get to where you want to be anally. We recommend using a, a dilating kit and it being about four to six weeks of you learning how to engage with your own body before you start to engage with others. And, and it's a process. It's not just, oh, stick it in and life's going to be great. This is a really introspective process that we're trying to empower people to understand anatomy and understand function so that then they can kind of go on to wherever they want sexually. Yeah, and I think that's all really useful and helpful information. So thanks for making anal sex less complicated by helping us to understand the anatomy and kind of how that works and how you need to figure out what works for your body. To go back to the question I asked you about you know, how many people are doing it. I just wanted to throw in one specific statistic. This comes from a CDC study that was published a couple of years ago that found that in a nationally representative sample of Americans, almost half of men said that they had engaged in anal sex before and more than a third of women had. And so, you know, this is telling us that this is a very common behavior. It's not a fringe behavior. And you correctly mentioned that the rate of participation is higher uh, in the men who have sex with men community. But we know that heterosexual men, you know, vastly outnumber gay, bisexual, and other sexual minority men. And so there's actually a heck of a lot more heterosexually identified men in the world who are having anal sex just in terms of sheer numbers. So, you know, when people conflate anal sex with gay sex, I think they're, you know, making a big assumption and mistake there. This is not an activity that knows any one gender or sexual sexual orientation. It's something that, you know, people across the board are engaging in. So let's talk a little bit about why that is. So why is anal sex so pleasurable for so many people? Yeah, you know, 
when you take a step back anatomically, I tried to simplify it, right, with skin and muscle. But clearly, there's nerve endings in males, there's prostate, females, there's the vaginal wall and the uterine wall. And all of these different things provide sensations. And it's no different than playing externally, whether you're licking or or engaging. All of those sensations start to be a positive influence as it relates to your sexual experience. And if you think of, let's just take the prostate, prostate play is such a great stimulator. It brings people's orgasms beyond what they're ever capable of doing. And so there are plenty of people that have never engaged anally and have never approached the prostate at all. And they're missing out because it's fucking unbelievable. And when you finally tap into a prostatic appropriate orgasm, you start to realize that clearly there's a reason why it is not only in the gay space, but through everyone, because people are realizing that there's many ways from a sexual pleasure and there are positive reinforcements as it relates to the anal region. So when people say, well, yeah, a woman doesn't have a prostate, well, the reality is that there are always nerve endings. Some are good nerve endings and some are bad nerve endings. And in a sexual perspective, we know that the good outweighs the bad. And that good sensation really tickles people to get their sexual desires to reach their orgasms in a way that is, is, is mind blowing. And the nice thing about it is that it's another avenue for people to explore. And nowadays, the goal is for me, especially as a sexual educator and you, is to provide everybody with all of the information and all of the potentials that they can engage with. And then for them to now have those tools and the education to start exploring. So at the end of the day, once you start anally engaging, you start to realize that there's a whole different level of orgasm that most people have never tapped into. Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned all of that and specifically the part about the prostate because I was actually reading recently on prostate-induced orgasms and what the research says. And there's there's actually surprisingly not much research out there that's on it. And, you know, there are a lot of guys who say that they have their most intense orgasms when they're involving prostate stimulation in some way. And one of the theories behind why prostate orgasms are more pleasurable is that when you're inserting something anally, that this is creating this heightened sense of body sensations. It allows you to kind of be in the moment more and more fully experience the physical sensations. And so that can attune you more to the pleasures of orgasm. So part of the appeal, I think, for a lot of people might really be in that sort of heightened state of awareness and how it allows them to experience and feel everything more intensely. Does that kind of make sense to you in terms of the reasoning? Totally, totally. I think that when you look at the prostate and where it's positioned, it's exactly why people, most people engage because that in and of itself is going to get stimulated. I think on the flip side, because it can be an aggressive act and, and significantly traumatic, there are times where the prostate can get irritated. So the key always is, again, looking at the prosthetic anatomy knowing where it is, how do you actually tap into it, 
How do you actually do things the right way so that now you're able to get those sensations without any potential negative ramifications? So you mentioned this idea of, you know, trauma a couple of times. So let's talk about this common question I get from people, which is whether anal sex causes or can cause long-term damage to the body. You know, I get a lot of people who ask, will this make me incontinent? Will it lead to things like rectal prolapse? Uh, You know, what's the truth there? A lot of people seem to think that anal sex is inherently dangerous, necessarily causes damage to the body. So what do you say to that? I say that there are definitely outliers and most of those outliers are more in extreme anal play. Run-of-the-mill anal sex is not going to cause the issues of looseness or rectal prolapse. And nowadays, with the appropriate education and appropriate resources like we have at Bespoke Surgical, the key is prevention, right? And so when I look at people that are engaging anally, the goal is for them to come through the office at least once a year just to do the usual STD in and out evaluation. But it's also looking at the muscles. It's doing what's called a manometry test where we're able to analyze the muscle strength and the muscle relaxation and optimize where people are so that we don't allow things to go incorrectly into the wrong space. With that being said, the human body is quite miraculous. It has a significant amount of muscle and regenerative power. You know, when you think from an anal sex perspective, what we're talking about of those long-term complications are much more traumatic events, bigger toys, fists, a lot of overdouching, and we'll talk about that. Things where if you start to bring the educational piece and look at sexual education and start really looking at your own element of working within those confines, you'll start to see that it's very, very few and far between that I see. And I've been doing this now for 10 years. I see about 75 people a week and I do about 15 surgeries a week. And I'd have to say that I don't really know the true, maybe one, I could count on my hands whether or not I've seen true rectal prolapse. And that is only coming in from the aggressive fisting community. And when you look at the fisting community, I love working with them because they're so attentive to their needs. They communicate well, more so than any other group that I see. A lot of them actually like rectal prolapse. It makes them feel sexier and feel, and people love the way that that feels. But there is a fine line with that. And the reality is, is that I see a lot of younger kids, 20 year olds that are into fisting. And then by the time they're later in life, what winds up happening is there could be some of those complications. But the goal for us is to offset that, but also to understand that anal itself is so positive and so sexually stimulating with minimal ramifications from a negative perspective, if done right. And that's what we really should be focusing on. Yeah. And to go back to something you mentioned a little earlier, you talked about how people often kind of learn a lot about anal sex from porn. And so I think it's worth stepping back and saying, what's the difference between porn anal and anal that happens in the real world? Because, you know, what you see in porn 
there's usually very little in the way of preparation or warm up, and it often becomes very fast and hard very quickly. So in what ways do you think porn kind of gives us incorrect ideas about how to approach anal sex and why porn might not be a good how-to guide for that behavior? Yeah, you know, and I work very closely with a lot of porn stars just because they're so amazing to try to use their platforms to bring the sexual education piece into it. Uh, with that said, you don't see a tremendous amount of preparatory work. You don't see their dilation before they get on set. You don't see all of the things that happen as it relates to it. You're seeing obviously just the, the, the cut moments that get you to be like, well, wait a second. My ass doesn't work like that. I think though that, you know, when you get yourself into a groove from a bottoming perspective and you are really self-critical, of the right way to engage and what positions work well for you and how do you dilate the right way? How do you make sure that you're really well lubricated so that you're empowering your decisions? We can get you to be exactly what porn shows. I think though that it's the before and the after that I think is super, super important. And that to me was really where it spawned off Future Method, which is a company that I developed and co-started where we started to say, well, wait a second, if we're trying to tout the education, how do we now start putting products into that before and after to allow people to get to where they want to go? And that may be porn, that may be porn style sex, that may not be at all. It may be run of the mill. But I think the key is empowering the bottom. I always tell people the goal is for you to assume that whoever is playing with you knows nothing. <laughs> and, 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 and that knowing nothing means, okay, how can you be submissive, but yet still put yourself in the correct positions to minimize injury, right? People, for some reason, you know, our culture feels if you're a bottom, you have to be submissive. And we know that that's total bullshit. We know that there's a huge gamut of everything for everybody. But at the end of the day, the goal is to prevent injury, to maximize pleasure. And if porn and porn style sex is what you want, is to get you there. And the best way to do that is to practice and practice and practice. And when you look at the best bottoms in the world, the best bottoms are practicing and they're doing it two to three times a week, either with partners or by themselves with toys. And you're starting to really learn your own anatomy, your own kind of pelvic floor. How do you relax? How do you get into the moment? What positions work for you? What tickles the prostate in the right way? What doesn't in the right way? And that's where bespoke for me is I, I think of sex so differently than most where you start to analyze people's practices and you start to see what worked and what didn't. And, and the nature of bespoke surgical is that it's really guided towards you. Everybody is different, but the key take home point is porn is a snapshot of sexual wellness, sexual escapades, and sexual practices. And the key is for us to analyze the before, the during, and after, and get people 
optimized as much as possible. And if that scene is what you want and you want to be able to get there, great. Bring me the scene. I'll watch it with you. And you and I can analyze all the different ways in which they got to that scene. Um, and then we can talk about how we can get you there so that it's done safely. Yeah. One other thing I would like to add to our discussion on porn is that I was on Tina Horn's podcast a couple of years ago, and she's a former adult performer. And I just, I love the analogy that she provided. She said, watching porn as, you know, kind of a form of sex education is kind of like watching a cooking show. There's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that's on the cutting floor that you never see. And you only end up seeing like the little highlights here and there. And so you don't see preparation work beforehand in terms of, you know, maybe people dilating or stopping and applying copious amounts of lubrication and and so forth. And so I just think that that's a handy way to think about porn is that there's a lot that's happening off screen that you're not seeing and that, you know, you need to account for that in terms of how and why people are able to engage in these behaviors. And I also think that it also provides you, and this is more aligned with, with what you do is, is the mental component of you analyzing your own sexual desires, right? Like, like what in that scenario gets you off where you want to potentially incorporate that into your sexual practices? And then it starts to become more of a mental game where you start to really say, Oh, this is interesting. I want to do this versus this or that and that. And then you start to now bring it back to the functional side of, okay, how are we actually going to get you there safely? I always tell people, I want you to engage whatever way gets you off. This is 2021. You only have one life. You should be fucking the way you want to fuck. With that being said, it's how do we do it in a safe way to get you there? And to know that it's not just going to happen. It's practice and it's work and it's trying to figure out the best ways to get you there. Practice makes perfect when it comes to good sex. <laughs> so, uh, I want to turn next to tips for pleasurable anal sex. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Stay tuned. This episode of the Sex and Psychology Podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Promescent. Promescent is here to help you get better in bed. Check out their signature delay spray, which has been clinically shown to help men increase their sexual stamina. It has target zone technology, which allows you to desensitize only the areas you want and customize it for your body. When used as directed, it won't transfer to your partner. Check it out and see why it has thousands of five-star reviews and is recommended by more than 2,000 medical professionals. Promescent's other sexual wellness products include their Vitaflux supplements, female arousal gel, and line of personal lubricants that come in several varieties. Promescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee on all orders and free shipping on orders over $10. Also, all orders come in discreet, plain white bubble mailers to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place your order at promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T.com. And we're back. My guest today is Dr. Evan Goldstein, and we're talking about everything you ever wanted to know about anal sex. Our next topic is how to have safer and more pleasurable experiences. So let's start first with the safety piece. What do people need to know when it comes to safety surrounding anal sex? And when I say safety, I'm talking about both 
STD prevention, as well as minimizing risk of injury? Sure, yeah. Well, I think the first set is obviously everything should be consensual, right? And and we hope that you put yourself in situations where you're able to navigate and to make sure that it's safe and that there's uh, situations that everyone is in control. So that's number one. Number two is, is that I think that way I practice is you really need to be practicing, practicing, practicing. And most of the time, it's really on your own where you're able to pre-dilate, pre-lubricate. Now, I work in this matter of looking at different dilator kits that we recommend where you're able to start stretching the skin and stretching the muscle in a very, very controlled way. So when you look at injury, people come to me because they think they can go from nothing to something big right away. They think that spit is an appropriate lube or no lube at all. Um, They think that they can just go right into doggy style and be submissive and take it up the ass that way. And the reality is, is that it takes time to get there. And the way to do that is over time to stretch the skin, get the skin strong enough so that it can actually accommodate um, and not tear. Pre-dilating is amazing with sex or bringing sex toys into your sex play with others is great because not only do you dilate and relax and it helps with foreplay, but you're actually pre-lubricating 360 degrees externally as well as internally. And again, if you look at the top, most tops would take a little bit of lube and just squirt it on the tip of their dick and stick it in. They have no concept of 360 degrees and the depth of what we would need from a lubricating perspective. The ass is not lubricating. It is not like the cervix and and uterus and the vagina. It doesn't work like that. So with that being said, you have to take those steps. So I usually tell people, let's say you're a newbie and you've never bottomed before, that over the next four to six weeks, two to three times a week, I usually tell people just while they're showering, right before the shower, using a gradual dilating kit from small to medium to large, and just like going to the gym. I I equate it all the time. You and I going to the gym, when you think about it, your ass is contracted 99.9% of the day. So it's going to take time for us to dilate and stretch and get all those parts working in the right way before anyone sticks anything in there other than what you're working on yourself. So going to the gym, give me two to three sets of 12 going in and out, in and out, just with the small toy over the first one to two weeks. Then you'll gradually, always starting with the small toy, go from the small to the medium, um, and then from medium to large. And through that, you really start to see what works. People always ask me, well, do I do it from the front? Do I do it from the back? And I say, well, the reality is is that you got to try it all because you need to see what feels good and what doesn't, what's an easy entry and what isn't. And then you start to really learn those three sets of muscles. How do you relax them? How do you engage them? How do you now start to stretch and self-lubricate and do all these things to prepare you so that there is not that injury? After that four to six weeks, if you feel like, hey, I feel like I'm ready to rock and roll, I've gotten the medium to almost the large size in, then we could say, okay, then let's find a partner that is going to be submissive, meaning 
Just get them hard and let them lay there and you start to navigate the situation using the toys beforehand. And then also you sitting on them in control, really making sure that you're actually doing what needs to be in terms of receiving. And then as you start to kind of get more into it, you can start getting into more aggressive and or different positions that are a little bit more experienced. And it just takes time. And I, and I think one of the major things I tell people is to em- be empowered to know when to say no. Being empowered to know that, oh, this position doesn't feel good. Stop. Pain is not appropriate for anal sex. And I'll say that again, anal sex shouldn't be painful. If it's painful, something is not right. Yes, of course, in the beginning, there's going to be some mild discomfort as you start engaging in different activities that you haven't before. But if you're doing the dilating, you're taking your time and you understand your anatomy, that discomfort should quickly abate and it really shouldn't be anything other than pleasure. If something is persisting, where something just doesn't feel right, then you should come see us in the office or see a professional that can do a good evaluation in and out of the muscle and the skin. Because sometimes, and lots of times, people see me because there's something that's causing an issue, whether the muscles are too tight and not relaxing, whether there's a hemorrhoid or a skin tag or something that's causing friction and is discomforting to you, whether just from defecating you have had a cut from childhood and that is restricting you and you can't fully receive. There's so many surgical things that I can do, but you need to know that anal sex does not equate pain. And the success of dilating and getting yourself to understand your own anatomy then allows you to kind of get into the fruitful sexual world that we all want. And I think that's all just great sex advice in general, that so much of good sex is about stepping back and having some self-exploration first and figuring out what works for your body, what feels good, because everybody's body is a little bit different. And some people are more sensitive than others to, to certain forms of stimulation. Some people get more enjoyment from different positions than others. So that's a big part of figuring out how to have good sex of any type is engaging in that self-exploration first. And of course, the pieces of consent and, you know, sex shouldn't be painful unless you're a masochist and, you know, into hardcore BDSM. But if there is something painful that's there, you know, that shouldn't be a part of, you know, the typical sexual experiences that people are having. And so since we're kind of on that subject of pain, what if somebody finds that they experience pain every time they try to engage anally? You know, there are some people I've read about 10% in some studies I've seen seem to find that it's just chronic chronically painful every time they go to engage. So what would your advice or recommendation be to somebody who kind of fits into that category of it's just always painful for them? Yeah, I I would say that they need to see somebody both, you know, making sure that things are exactly what they should be anatomically. What I see a lot of the times is restriction. You know, when you look at whoever created us or what created us, the essence of the anal region is from defecation. And so there are certain modifications that have arisen from that 
to allow shitting to happen. Now, when we start to go the other way and we're engaging anally, complications can arise. And we see it all the time from STDs to tears. Tears are my number one where people come to me um, and the tear just won't heal. It just constantly becomes a recurring issue. When I think of someone coming to me saying that they're, they want to engage anally, but yet it's painful, they need a full history examination, a full physical exam, both in and out. And I do an anoscopic exam in the office where I'm able to look at the skin. I'm able to look at the muscle. I'm able to look at the local anatomy to start to see, well, well, why is it restrictive? And a lot of times people are able to relax their muscle but the skin and the glands that are there doesn't allow it to fully open. And that restriction causes people to tense and also for pain to develop. The body is really smart, right? When you go beyond capacity in anything, you start to develop pain, so you stop doing that. But the reality is is that from a, a simple internal and external evaluation, we could actually get people into a state where they're able bottom. There's so many times that I do a five-minute procedure because, oh, this is the gland that's causing problems with people. And I see it over and over where people will go to proctologist after proctologist and they'll be like, oh, everything looks perfect. And then I take a look and I'm like, wait a second, is there pain right there? And they're like, oh, fuck yeah. How did you know that? And I say, because when you think of the ass and you think of sex, There's only a certain amount of things that can cause problems. And it's a simple five to 10 minute procedure and recovery that then allows people that relaxation that now becomes positive in terms of their sexual practices. And I use a lot of Botox a lot in people's care. One, because it relaxes some of the muscles. So after surgery, the recovery is not as terrible, but also to get people that relaxation. Some people have partners that are a little bit too bigger than what they can receive. Some people do want to engage in fisting, but yet they're still restricted. So there's so many things. I think what's so great about you know you, you hosting me on this is that we're trying to push the narrative because so many people don't even know that there is a solution that exists for this type of activity. And that is what I'm trying to do and empower bespoke surgical and future method of like, well, wait a second, this is important stuff. We should be able to engage the way that you want to. It shouldn't be painful if you don't want it to be. And there are solutions that we can do in order to get people to engage the way that they want to. And one of those solutions, as you mentioned, might be Botox for your butt, which I think is you know, something a lot of people would be surprised to learn. But Botox is actually a, a sexual wonder drug of sorts, as I've written about in the past on the blog. A lot of people just think of Botox as this injection you get in your face to paralyze the muscles so that you don't have facial wrinkles, right? But it's actually used as a treatment for a wide range of sexual difficulties across persons of different genders and sexualities. For instance, Botox can be used to treat vaginismus in women where you have this involuntary 
tensing and contraction of the vaginal muscles that make penetration impossible. Botox can also be used and it's been tested as a potential treatment for premature ejaculation and also for erectile dysfunction. And those are very early studies and we don't know about the sort of long-term, will this be viable for you know, all of these different treatments. But, you know, the fact that it can be used for so many different things, I just, I I always find to be endlessly fascinating. But since we're talking about, you know, safety and pleasure, of course, we should mention that consent, of course, is key. Condoms, use of PrEP, which is a drug that can dramatically reduce the risk of HIV acquisition. Like, so taking those steps to take control of your sexual health are very important as well. And then also doing whatever you can to enhance pleasure. And I think for a lot of people, this involves finding ways to relax because a lot of people tense up when it comes to anal play. And so something that might be helpful for some people would be trying mindfulness exercises, which allow you to kind of relax and be in the moment and focus on your body sensations. Uh, So a book I often like to recommend for people who are interested in learning more about mindfulness and how to incorporate it in their sex life, it's called Better Sex Through Mindfulness by Dr. Lori Brado. Any other tips you'd like to mention for more pleasurable anal sex before we move on to the subject of anal douching? Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned some with obviously PrEP usage and obviously we we know that almost 75% of specifically gay men do not use condoms and it's a huge proponent of non-condom usage. With that said, I do a lot of work with kind of prophylactic antibiotics, specifically in certain situations. So when people think of using either Valtrex for herpes prevention or doxycycline for chlamydia and syphilis prevention, we do a lot of that. And so some people do PrEP 211 where they're taking it just on demand. Um, and the same concept comes with antivirals for herpes and doxycycline for STDs. We really want to empower you to not change your sexual practices, but to analyze it so that we can minimize the risk. Because obviously we know that it's not only risk associated with your own personal body, but obviously everybody that you come into contact with. So I think that whether it's Botox, whether it's antibiotics, whether it's PrEP, all of these things are, again, knowing that there are so many solutions out there to benefit the practice that you want. I think I try to tell people to own their desire, own their sexual practices, find people that are now being proponents of that so that we can try to mitigate risk. Because again, I I ask so many people, people don't even know that Botox exists for the ass or that you can take one pill of doxycycline and mitigate your STD risk by 70 to 80%. So when you start to kind of look at your own sexual practices, we're able to, in a bespoke way, really start to tailor it so that you are just better at doing what you want to do. And being able to own your sex. So we're running short on time, but the other area I wanted to get into is the subject of anal douching because I get a lot of questions about it. And, you know, a lot of people seem to be under the impression that, you know, flushing out the rectum before anal sex is like this necessary first step. So let's talk about kind of like the do's and don'ts of douching and the science of douching, which is a phrase I never thought I'd be saying, but, you know, (laughs) there is a science behind it. And I think people are not at all educated on this. You know, I see these how to guides on the internet 
you know, I'm a sex educator, so I'm always curious as to what's out there and what people are being told. And I see all these how-to guides that are like, hey, you know, douching is great. And, you know, you can buy a store-bought enema or you can do something water-based at home. Just find whatever you're comfortable with and go to town. Like, you know, they're not really giving a lot of science or research-based advice. A lot of this is just coming from personal experience and saying, hey, this works for me. So, you know, go out and do it. And, and also giving this impression that it is like a necessary first step. So, I know there's a lot in this question, so you could feel yeah, free no. to it however you want. But so, you know, is douching necessary and what do people need to know about it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think obviously you and I both know why people and why society and why there is such a stigma as it relates to, you know, anal sex and the potential for shit to come into contact with whatever you're doing, right? And it's a real thing. I mean, it's a phobia on many people, whether it's the top or the bottom. And it's ingrained in culture that, you know, the cleaner you are, the better you are. But when you take a step back scientifically, you know that when you start to douche, you're actually causing harm. And what do I mean by that? There is a protective microbiome. There are good bacteria and there are bad bacteria, and they are actually in equilibrium. When you start to douche, what you're doing is you're offsetting that. And so the mucus lining, the lining that is protecting the area, gets so irritated where now STDs and HIV and potential complications can arise. So that was the impetus of me starting Future Method. You know, the company was all about the science of sex. We are really pioneering different ways to think, not only on an educational perspective, but on a product perspective. The first product we launched with is an appropriate anal douche. I started to see people coming to me using water, using shower hoses, or again, using an enema. And when you start to look at their practices, you realize that there's three different components that people are getting wrong. The first is the solution that they're using is toxic. Both water and enemas cause irritation and cause a really significant change in the microbiome that leads to complications. So what we wanted to do was, and I worked very closely with the University of Pittsburgh and Miami, and we came up with working with really great scientists to say, okay, well, we know that people are going to douche, regardless of whether I say don't do it or not. There are definitely going to be people to douche. How do we provide people with a solution that is not going to be toxic? All the while teaching people that less is more, meaning the second and third component to ir you know irresponsible douching is that people are over douching. They're either using way too much volume. They're either doing it way too many times. And I think that first off, most people, they actually don't need to douche. If you are using fiber and you're shitting normally and you feel really good, prove to yourself nine times out of 10, you're actually going to be clean where penetration is happening. We're not talking about fists. We're not talking about huge toys. We're just talking run of the mill anal sex. If you're defecating, the anal canal, the rectum, is actually clean after you go to the bathroom. Prove it to yourself. Use a toy. 
during, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to have sex soon. Great. Use a toy to prove to yourself that you're most of the time going to be clean. Now, if you still say, you know what, I do want to clean, I want to douche out, we made our bulbs in Future Method much smaller than what is standard out there. Why? Because the standard is actually way too much volume. And the key is less is more. How do I now really not irritate the lining, making sure that the solution is not a, is appropriate pH balanced? Also is making sure that I'm getting the area where we're actually engaging. When you look online, so many of these bulbs are so huge that they're actually going way higher than what you need to. And I see it. This is the same story I hear all the time saying, oh, I douched two times. The second time I douched and cleaned myself out, I was actually super, super clean. But I just wanted to do it one more time just to make sure. And then the third time it's done, they're like, oh, fuck, I'm dirty. And I see shit in the toilet. And you say, yeah, well, because you went higher than what you needed to. And you're actually eliciting a shitting or defecation response. So the stool that is up way higher that would have never have come into contact with you during your sexual experience now starts to move and cause issues and now you're dirty again. So it's really looking at the practice and analyzing how do we do it safely. It's making sure that we are using the right solution. It's making sure that we're doing it in the right capacity. You know, and it shouldn't be a hour long process. This should be literally a 10 to 15 minute of self exploration, using toys, douching, cleaning out, proving to yourself that you're clean, and then moving on so that you can start to enjoy. Less is more as it relates to this. And when you look at HIV and STD risk and anal injury, I, I honestly think it's not so much the act of sex that's causing the transmission. I think it's the douching and the preparation work that people are not doing correctly. And that is making sure that people are douching the right way if they are doing it, making sure that they're using dilators, pre-lubricating, and creating an environment that is actually protective so that now when you're engaging anally, you're minimizing all of the risk associated with that. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation and all of this really super informative information about a subject that so often is not talked about and where there is very little in the way of accurate science-based sex ed out there. It was really a pleasure to have you here. So can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your services and future method products? Yeah, sure. Thank you first for having me. It's always a pleasure. As it relates to the practice, Bespoke Surgical, on all kind of social channels, our website, uh, if someone wants more information, a lot of great education. We do a lot of stuff on Instagram and IGTV in terms of getting the word out on different aspects of sexual wellness and care and health. FutureMethod.com, again, a really great educational resource. And then obviously the products that support everything that we're doing from our community. But the tag on Instagram there is at the future method. And then obviously more of my kind of personal world with me and Andy and our two boys intersecting with 
anal world um, on Instagram is uh, at Dr. Dr. Evan Goldstein. And thank you so much. I hope we do it again. And thank you for being a huge proponent of sexual education. What you do is invaluable to our community. And it's so great for us to keep working together. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) this is not an area where the gaps in the sex that are going to be filled anytime soon. So I'm sure I'll have you back sometime so we can continue the conversation. And thanks also for the product samples that you've sent before in the past. We actually gave some out at one of my conferences last year. We did these swag bags and and giveaways and people were so excited that we were giving out anal douches. We kind of felt like Oprah Winfrey up there being like, you get a douche and you get a douche. And so, you know, all the more reason to come to a sex research conference because they're a heck of a lot of fun and you might just walk out with an anal douche. (laughs) Well, thank you very much and happy, happy new year and uh, look forward to the future. Yes, same here. And thank you to all of my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of the podcast, you can visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, if you want to learn more about the science of sex and sexual desire. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.